We'll go ahead and take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're coming to the end of our time in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15 is where we'll be this morning. Any kids, kindergarten through third grade, can make their way to the back, I think, as they already have. Awesome, good, cool. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are a handful in front of you. Uh, that's the NIV. I'm actually going to be reading from the ESV. And so if you'd like to see what I'm saying word for word, there are copies of the Bible in the back on the back table back there. You're welcome to grab one of those. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, feel free to take that. That is our gift to you this morning. So we're in 1 Corinthians. We're, we've been plowing through this book, I think since November. And we're coming to the end. This is all coming to a head for Paul here in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to read the first 34 verses in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to the church in Corinth, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, when you receive, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely unborn, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not, he did not raise if it, is, it, it, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong in Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. 
But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people being baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Have you ever been in a position where you knew something really important was coming your direction? Or something really important was coming your way? And it was intimidating, something really weighty. I'm sure you've been in that position before. A big meeting with the big bosses at work or sending your kids off to college. You know that thing is coming. A family reunion with the family members that you're less than excited to see. That may be a couple weeks away for some of you. You name it. could be anything. But it's really heavy, and so it's just kind of easier not to think about it. It's kind of easier not to go there in your mind. If you don't think about it, you don't have to really truly grapple with it. Life just keeps moving forward. You're you're hurtling towards that event or that thing, that idea, that concept, that place. Maybe it's even gnawing on you a bit, but you largely are able to ignore it, and maybe it'll just go away, but it won't go away, and it's coming. You know it's coming. This passage this morning shows us the ultimate reality of this idea, this concept. It's the fact that death is coming for all of us. The ultimate expression of this idea is death. The Corinthians decided, we see in our text, and we'll explain this as we get into the text, but the Corinthians decided to ignore the reality of death. There were a handful of ideas and concepts that were going on in their midst that led them to these conclusions. But I think that that's not so unrelatable for us. In 21st century America, I don't think this is very unrelatable. I think we're inclined to do something similar. Our culture idolizes youth. If you turn on the TV and watch any commercial, most people are young. They look happy. Anything and everything that they're doing is done in their youth with a lot of energy. Our culture largely has ignored the elderly unless they maintain some semblance of youth. And medical technology in our society has pushed life expectancies higher and higher, but we can't ultimately stave off the end. We don't talk about death openly, usually, but the reality is that it's coming for every one of us. I believe that we fail to openly acknowledge the real goodness of the gospel because oftentimes we don't think about the finality of death. We don't think about it. 
Jim Elliott, you probably know that name, Jim Elliott, who is a missionary to Ecuador. He and four other missionary companions desire to see the gospel preached to the Aka tribe in Ecuador, a very dangerous people group. And the five men landed their plane near the tribe on January 3rd of 1956. And on January 6th, they made first contact with the Akas. And on January 8th, Jim Elliott and the other men were supposed to check in via radio at 4.30 p.m., and the call never came. Uh, a rescue party was sent. They discovered four bodies lanced to death, seemingly ambushed. The fifth body was never found. All five men were fathers, or all five men were married, and four of them were fathers. One of the new widows was pregnant, and when the new baby was born, her three-year-old son was overheard telling the crying infant, never you mind, when we get to heaven, I'll show you which one is daddy. About seven years earlier, Jim Elliott had written in his journal in 1949, he had written his journal, probably the most important and influential thing that he said, the thing that gets quoted most often from his life, he wrote this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot realized that it was life that he could not keep. It was Christ that he could not lose. Jim Elliot's wife, Elizabeth, would later write, When I stood by my shortwave radio in the jungle of Ecuador in 1956 and heard that my husband Jim Elliot was missing, God brought to my mind the words of the prophet Isaiah, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. You can imagine that my response was not terribly spiritual. I was saying, but Lord, you're with me all the time. What I want is Jim. What I want is my husband. We'd been married 27 months after waiting five and a half years. Five days later, I knew that Jim was dead and God's presence with me was not Jim's presence. That was a terrible fact. God's presence didn't change the terrible fact that I was a widow and I expected to be a widow until I died because I thought it was a miracle I got married for the first time. God's presence didn't change the fact of my widowhood. Jim's absence thrust me, forced me, hurried me to God, my hope and my only refuge. It's impossible to see the true beauty of the gospel without an intimate understanding of death. And Elizabeth Elliot had this intimate acquaintance with death. She saw the beauty of the gospel. It's the gospel that makes the end, not the end. And when Paul writes to the Corinthians here in chapter 15, he really wants them to see the beauty of the gospel. They are blinded by a few things happening in their midst. They are blinded by a handful of things right in front of their face. And we've talked about these over the course of the last several weeks. The manifestations of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit were really prevalent among them. And the divisions that had formed over petty differences, we saw that earlier in the letter. And the general self-centeredness they were steeped in. And so Paul here in 1 Corinthians 15 wants to address this, this denial of the, the resurrection you see that in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? 
But what he's really doing, what he's really getting at here, he really wants the Corinthians to have a formula for growing in love for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there's three things that he does in this text that help us as we desire to grow in love for the gospel of Jesus Christ. First, constant reminders of the gospel. Second, reflection on Christ's resurrection as our resurrection. And then thirdly, reflection on Christ as the forerunner of our resurrection. So we're going to unpack those ideas. We'll unpack those ideas. Let's start with the first one. Paul gives constant reminders of the gospel. Now, we've been in this book for a while, since November, we said. We've seen the gospel come up over and over and over again. And we get to this point in the letter, and it's coming to a head, and it's coming to an end, and he doesn't want the Corinthians to read this letter in front of the congregation and to begin to digest it. He doesn't want them to miss out on the truth of the gospel. He says in verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of what? Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. The effectiveness of the gospel is seen here. He gives the reasons or the the way in which the gospel is affected them or, or how it came to them. Which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved. They must hold firmly to the word preached to them. We don't have to go much farther past the first two verses to see like some pretty dramatic, pretty dramatic application for us. The gospel then must be the center of who we are as a church, Buffalo City Church. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Churches go through a cycle, generation to generation. One generation preaches the gospel, then the next assumes the gospel, and then the next forgets the gospel. And so we're not going to stop preaching the gospel. This is what Paul assumes. We're not going to Stop preaching the gospel so that we don't get to a point where we're just assuming the gospel. So we don't get to the point where we forget the gospel. So we don't stop proclaiming the gospel, both in our speech, from the pulpit, with our lives, in the community. The question we ask is, would we like to, would you, this morning, like to effectively serve others in Buffalo City Church? The answer is yes. Would you like to effectively serve others in Buffalo City Church? The first answer to that question is, know the gospel. Grow in love for it. I've had this conversation regularly. I think every pastor does, even recently. I'm glad that we talk about the gospel a lot, but when are we going to get X, Y, and Z? We'll get the topic X, Y, or Z when the text takes us there. But no matter what the text we're in, we can't escape the truth of the gospel. Paul doesn't try to escape it. He says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Before he addresses this huge issue, this looming, this is like the big elephant in the room. A denial of the resurrection is the big elephant in the room for the Corinthians. So we ask ourselves the question, would you like to effectively serve others in Buffalo City Church? Know the gospel, grow in love for it. People don't need good advice, they need good news. Jeff Vanderstelt in his book, Gospel Fluency, writes, Paul knows that if people are going to grow up in Christ in every way, maturity, 
They need to hear the truths of Jesus, the gospel, and learn what to speak, or how to learn to speak them into everything. What's the question? Jesus is the answer. What's the problem? Jesus is the solution. Seems like Sunday school answers. You like ask the question such and such and such, and you say, well, this is Jesus, and then you move on. But the reality is the application of, of the gospel into everyday living must be our aim. And so we need constant reminders of the gospel. It's not the little ditty that saves us, and then we graduate to something new. It's the whole, the sum total of the Christian life. We inevitably drift. The gospel brings us back to center. This is why the Corinthians needed to course correct. This is what we need to do also. So, question again. Would you like to effectively serve others at Buffalo City Church? Know the gospel, grow in love for it. What is the gospel? If you're not quite sure how to articulate it, Paul does it for you right here. (laughs) Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Christ died for our sins, buried and raised. Sin is forgiven. Death is defeated. Turn from your sin and trust Jesus. This is the gospel. And look to the priority of the gospel too, right at the beginning of verse 3. I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. It is of first importance. And Paul goes on in this section to rejoice over the gospel, no matter the source, him or another apostle. So the gospel is the highest priority and therefore needs to remain in the foreground. So the first way that Paul shows the Corinthians and shows us subsequently that we can grow in love for the gospel is through considering and having constant reminders of the gospel. The second way we grow in love for the gospel is by reflecting on the reality that Christ's resurrection is our resurrection. Reflecting on the reality that Christ's resurrection is our resurrection. So again, the Corinthians' little problem. They look at these manifestations of the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of spiritual gifts they were experiencing, and it caused them to begin to believe that there was no resurrection. Why might have they thought that? Not that they didn't believe that eternal life was theirs in Christ. Not like you die and you're done. But they started to think that because of the activity of the Holy Spirit in their midst, that eternal life was already theirs, that they would not die, that they already had obtained it. They were living it right now. It was already here. It wasn't coming in the future. They thought, this is pretty great. Stuff is happening. That must mean we're in the clear. We're not going to die. But Paul immediately corrects this. Death comes first, and then the resurrection. If Jesus isn't raised, then we can easily discard everything else that Paul has written. What does the gospel accomplish if death can just be circumvented or avoided? Paul says that in his message is a total misrepresentation of God without the resurrection. And then look at verse 19 with me. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, 
We are of all people most to be pitied. You know that one. We are of all people most to be pitied if Christ hasn't been raised. The physical resurrection of believers is fundamentally tied to the physical resurrection of Christ. It is a package deal. It's a package deal. We will follow Jesus into death, and then the resurrection will follow. This is what it means to be in Christ, to be united with him. Paul would write to the church in Rome, in Romans 6.5, he said, For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We are united with him in death like his, a physical death. We will then experience a resurrection like his. Before we move away from this point, before we move away from this point, I want to consider a final thing. I think that we as people often live lives that deny the coming resurrection. Let me explain that. I think we often live lives that deny the coming resurrection. The idea of, quote, living your best life is a blatant contradiction to the resurrection that's coming if you are in Christ. You're probably not waking up in the morning and saying, the resurrection isn't real. You're probably not thinking about that in your mind. I'll never die. Eternal life is something I've already laid hold of fully. No one's saying that. You're not getting up and saying that. However, the way our culture ropes us in is by leading us to think that we can live our best life now. We worship celebrities who don't seem to age. We try to stave off our own aging through skin creams and staying hydrated. We say things like, age is just a number. Why? Because we've bought into the cultural message that young, youthfulness, attractiveness has more value than eternity. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they were unable to re-enter, and God sent them out. Sent them out east of Eden. This is where this all begins. This is where this all begins for us. The recovery of that eternal paradise is the aim of every human heart. We want to recover it. And the lie that we buy into and we believe here is that we can recover it in the here and now. That we can recover it right now. The phrase, live your best life, is an attempt to recover the paradise that we were designed for. Aging is a sign of impending death. Sickness and disease take people from us much too early. We think that we can come up with some way to push off death a little bit farther, and maybe we succeed incrementally. But it comes, and it's coming for every one of us, no matter how young or how old you are. And our hearts are bent at recovering that eternal paradise. We want to live our best lives because it could give us just a moment, just a glimpse of Eden and the paradise, but it flashes in front of our face and then it's gone. And the realities of car crashes and cancer disrupt our best life. The world is sinful and therefore broken, and we are sinful and therefore broken. And no car, no vacation, no skincare product, no bank account figure can recover Eden for you. Death is coming. Make no mistake. Friends, it's absolutely imperative that we begin to live like Jim Elliot. He is no fool who, cannot, who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. There's only one way that you'll experience a recovery of Eden. That sacred place that you were designed for. 
And it comes in two simple words. It comes in Christ. There's only one place that you can recover that sacred place for which you were designed. It's in Christ. That's the point of this section of text. If you ignore death, the beauty of the gospel will be lost on you. If you go to school and you have a project due in two weeks and you just ignore that project, does that mean it's not due in two weeks? If you go to work and a client calls you and you send it to voicemail and they ask where that thing that you promised them is, and you ignore that voicemail, does it, still, does it invalidate the client's request? Does it make it any less real? When death is the only thing that no one has ever lived through, when death knocks, it's final. And if you ignore that truth, the beauty of the gospel will be lost on you because in order to recover Eden, death must die. That's what Jesus did through his resurrection. Death was defeated. And if you're in Christ, if you are in Christ, if you are joined to Christ, if you have trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and repented and turned from your sin, then that resurrection is yours also. And death won't be the end, but the beginning of eternal life with your creator in paradise. So that's the second way that we grow in love for the gospel is reflecting on the reality that Christ's resurrection is, is our resurrection. If we're in Christ, if we're joined with him. The, the final way then that we grow in love for the gospel is through reflecting on Christ as the forerunner of our resurrection. The forerunner of our resurrection. Look at verse 20 with me. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The word that there is that's important is the first fruits. Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does that mean? Means that his resurrection is first. Yes, we know this. Chronologically, it's first. The grave didn't hold him. Therefore, it will not hold us either. But because it didn't hold him first. So it matters who we're in. It matters who we are joined to. Look at verse 22. For as in, in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Those who are in Adam die, and those who are in Christ are made alive. Jesus is the first in resurrection, therefore must be first in our lives. This is another instance where ignoring death is such a problem. Death is the final enemy, but defeated one. And when Jesus returns, death will be made fully subject to him. The goodness of God is shown to us in Christ Jesus and that he went before us into death and was the first to come out of it. He was not held by it. So we see these three ways then. We see these three ways that Paul gives us to grow in love for the gospel, constant reminders of the gospel, reflection on Christ's resurrection as our resurrection, and reflection on Christ as the forerunner of our resurrection. And so we ask ourselves, so what? So what? What does that mean for us? And we're going to move to the Lord's table this morning. We're going to participate in the elements here. What's the practical outworking for us? What's the practical outworking for us here? Let me just give you two things this morning. The first thing is we must die daily. Look at verse 31. Paul says this. 
I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. Here's what I think he means. I think you need to be asking yourselves the question. We need to ask ourselves these questions. What am I trying to keep that I cannot? And what am I, going, what am I, what am I ignoring that I cannot lose? What am I trying to keep that I cannot? And what am I ignoring that I cannot lose? We ask ourselves, what risk is too great? What risk is too great in your life? Would you risk your home? Would you risk your livelihood? Would you risk your status? Would you risk your bank account? What risk is too great? What risk is too great? I would venture to say that most of those things on that list, most of us are not willing to risk. But you can't keep them. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. If you've been here for a minute, you know what our mission is. We exist to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. What things are we trying to keep that we cannot? Time? Energy? Making disciples, inviting others into spiritual goodness and growth through causing people to be worshipers of God, to be servants of God and others, through being learners, knowing God through his word. Making disciples inevitably requires a lot of time and a lot of effort. And I'm struck by how inefficient disciple-making is. Why would we at Buffalo City Church make our mission something so inefficient? Because we exist to show the world the power of God to save sinners. Getting together to read through a book of the Bible requires time. Laboring through grief with others and properly applying the gospel in their situation is emotionally exhausting. Ensuring that a brother or sister finds joy in Jesus may require you to postpone your retirement plans. But time and energy, you can't keep them. Financial resources, you can't keep them. We exist to get into the trenches with others and to do intentional spiritual good. We must desire to see others become worshipers of God with their whole being. We must desire to see others know God through his word. We must desire to see others self-sacrificially serve God and others. And the delivery method is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Jesus took 12 ordinary and largely uneducated men and invested in them with his whole life, and then he sent them out. And what happened? God used them to turn the world upside down. Would it not made more sense for Jesus to pick up as many people as possible along the way and make some really big waves? Choose the most prominent and most powerful in Jerusalem and the surrounding region? Come on, Jesus, be a little strategic. Just tell the people what they want to hear, Jesus. But he does the opposite. 
And he frequently weeds people out by giving them unfiltered truth. The twelve stick around. But even one amongst those twelve betrays Jesus. After walking with the Son of God, the God-man, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, one of them betrays him. When you get together with another for years and years and pour into his or her life, and that person kisses you on the cheek and betrays you, did you fail? The reason we subscribe to a model of ministry that is so ridiculous is because it shows the power of God to save sinners. It's not because we're the most strategic church. It's not because we have the best ideas. It's not our creative outreach endeavors or our flashing lights or great music. It's not our fun-loving attitudes. It's the power of God to save sinners. Do we want to know this power? I hope so. The admonition is to die every day. Ask yourself the question, what am I trying to keep that I cannot? What am I ignoring that I cannot lose? The church needs men and women who cling closely to what they cannot lose rather than that which is already as good as lost. The second thing this morning, a second takeaway in conclusion. We must earnestly grapple with death. We must grow in our love for the gospel. And what Jesus was, and that Jesus was the first to come up out of the grave. If we grapple with death, that has meaning. If we're in Christ, his resurrection is ours. These are essentials. The good news of Jesus Christ is that he forgave our sin that inevitably leads to death. Through his sacrificial death. But that death didn't hold him. And he was raised as we will be if we are in him. How is that we can be joined with Christ? Through trusting him as the only one who can make us right with God. And turning from our sin and living a life directed towards him. Friends, we must grow in our love for this truth. Not as a one-time understanding, but as the governing force for all of life. The good news of Jesus Christ. So this morning we're going to go to the Lord's table. If you take your Bibles and go back just a couple of chapters, we were here just a few weeks ago in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. And Paul writes to them, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That last verse, verse 26 in chapter 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. That verse is so important. It's packed with so much truth. 
proclaiming the Lord's death. That's what we're doing. But then until he comes, that implies that he's not dead. That implies that he's alive. And when we proclaim his death, we are dying ourselves. And we are saying, through these elements, through shed blood, forgiveness of sins, through broken body, imputation of righteousness, we can stand before our creator God, our holy God. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we follow him into death. We must die every day. We must realize that our life is not our own. We were bought with a price. All of these things are true and very, very real. So in just a minute here, I'm going to invite you to approach the table to grab the elements. This is something that we do together as a local church. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't need to be a member here, but if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. If you're unsure of anything that I've said this morning related to the truth of the gospel, if you don't know where you stand before God, just hold back. Nobody's watching you. Nobody's judging you. This is something that we do again as believers, as those who identify with Buffalo City Church and those who have professed faith in in Jesus Christ. So you're welcome to approach the table, if that's you, to grab the elements. Go back and take them at your seat when the Lord prompts you to do so. You don't need to wait just when it's the right time. Consider the reality that the body of Christ is, is what we're discerning here also. Later in chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul is saying, don't not think about others in this process. Consider how we can build one another up in love and encourage one another as we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So again, I'm going to invite you to come up here to grab the elements, to return to your seat, to take them when the time is right in your heart. Let me pray for us. Before I do that, if there are any kids in here, parents, exercise discretion for your kids. This is for those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. This is not something that precedes belief but comes after belief. And so if you know that your child has expressed or or professed faith in Jesus Christ, invite them to participate. If not, use this as an opportunity to share the truth of the gospel with them. Let me pray, and then I'll invite you to come forward to the table.